0: It's January 1740 in St. Petersburg, Russia, and you are freezing. Arctic winds whip between carriages, snow coats the winter palace like icing. But you, being Russian and all, don your furs and head into the cold. You have a wedding to attend. You've never seen St. Petersburg so crowded. It's as if the whole of Russia is here people are laughing and drinking hot cups of Zitin, a sickly sweet honey drink you've never developed a taste for. You keep pushing your way through until finally you see it. There, towering above the crowd, is Empress Anna's Ice Palace. It's even more incredible than you imagine. The palace rises above the frozen Neva River, and it's massive nearly five stories tall for weeks you've watched artisans carve block after block of ice into tables doors windows even playing cards all of it carefully painted to look like the real thing as you inch your way closer you see a garden bloom around the palace little birds who are carved out of ice perch on trees also carved from ice Green painted hedges line walkways, hot steam rises from a bathhouse built of ice. And in front of the palace, ice dolphins and ice elephants blow red hot fire. Then you hear the trumpets and the distant rumbles of a very real non-ice elephant. The wedding procession has arrived. You turn your head to catch a glimpse and immediately you understand Empress Anna's show has only just begun. I'm Sarah Dern, associate editor here at Atlas Obscura, and today I'm cordially inviting you to one of history's strangest weddings, where an empress commanded her jester to marry in an ice palace. Was it a cruel joke? A strategic power move? Or something else entirely? The story of that empress, her surreal ceremony, with reception immediately to follow after this. We are definitely going into the Ice Palace in a minute. We're not missing this wedding, but First, I need to give you just a little bit of context. So grab another hot cup of that sweetened drink and join me around the fire-breathing ice elephant. So, long story short, history has done a frickin' number on Anna and her ice palace. First off, no one really writes about her. And then the few historians who do usually don't like her. They call her cruel, vulgar, silly... And they point to her ice palace as the perfect example of just how cruel, vulgar, and silly she could be. Her decade-long reign has essentially been turned into a historical footnote. One many would say you could just skip. I'm here to tell you, that's bull. Empress Anna deserves at the very least a chapter. She deserves to be studied and written about. And when I started chipping away at all the misogyny baked into her story, I found a far more human picture of a woman who turned pageantry into power. So let's go back in time, 10 years before Empress Anna ordered the construction of this ice palace. It's the year 1730. Let's say you're a Russian noble. Congrats, you're in the top 0.1% of society. Well done you. Oh, and you're a man, duh, or else you'd have like no power, but Unfortunately today, you're a little stressed out, because on January 30th of 1730, the young emperor, Peter II, died. (laughs) But it gets worse. Peter II just happened to be the last of the male descendants of the Romanov dynasty, which means you and the other nobles have to choose a female Romanov to rule Russia.
1: No. The nobles choose Anna because they believe, as a woman, she will be very easily manipulated. uh, Because sexism is unfortunately very alive and real in 18th century Russia.
0: That's Russian historian Jacob Bell from the University of Illinois. He's one of the few scholars who not only writes about Anna, but defends her.
1: So up until this point, Russia has not really had a formal woman ruler since uh, about the year 1000.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's over 700 years. And Anna honestly is a bit of an odd choice. She's a backwater princess with little claim to the throne, but that's why you and your noble friends think she's kind of perfect. A 37-year-old who doesn't know a thing about court life. She's gonna be so easy to manipulate. (laughs) Before her coronation, you and the other nobles force Anna to sign a series of conditions, which you've creatively called The Conditions. Anna will need permission to start a war or sign a peace treaty or even levy taxes. Every czar before Anna has ruled with absolute power. But Anna's like, yeah, sure, whatever, I'll sign it. And you rub your hands together all villain-like. Then in February 1730, you watch and clap as Anna's crowned empress of all Russia. Russia! But here's the thing. Anna isn't so easily manipulated. Some of your noble frenemies turn against you and rally to her side. Traitors. Damn it. Anna also gains the support of the local guards regiment.
1: The army in St. Petersburg.
0: She has an army now. And you, my friend, do not.
1: So she builds up support and then very dramatically tears the conditions in half and declares that she will rule in the way she wants to rule.
0: Dosvidania conditions.
1: The document survives. You can actually go to the archives in in St. Petersburg and see the torn-in-half document. It's actually a thing.
0: Whoa. You and the other scheming nobles decide from then on out it might be best to leave the empress to it. And that's exactly what you do for the next 10 years. And by the time 1739 rolls around, Anna's reign is in swing she founds a military training school wins some wars funds russian science on her off days she enjoys shooting at birds from palace windows and laughing in the company of her many jesters some of whom are actually your friends that's right to keep the nobles in check anna demoted some from powerful noblemen to lowly court jesters very sad and that's exactly what happened to mikhail galitsyn We're just going to call him Mick. After Anna demoted him to a court jester, she'd force him to do all sorts of stuff, like dress like a chicken and cluck over a nest of eggs. But then it got so much worse. He's about to become a main character in this Ice Palace wedding. I give you our groom. So it's the winter of 1739, and it's been a good year for the Empress. Earlier that fall, she... Finally defeated the Ottoman Empire, ending four long years of war. In what better way to celebrate, she figures, than to build an incredible, elaborate ice castle? Anna commissions Russia's best architects, scientists, and artisans to build a magical frozen palace. Perhaps history's first. And this palace is just jaw-droppingly big, nearly five stories tall, two tennis courts wide, with... Gardens, animals, sofas, clocks, wine glasses, all of it carved from 50 by 15 foot blocks of ice. Oh, and of course, you mustn't forget the life-size ice elephant breathing fire.
1: If you like, put yourself in the like, shoes of an attendant for a second, you walk into a literal castle palace made totally out of ice that has just been built on the whim of this woman. And so I I feel like there's something very awe-inspiring about that. There's something very, you know, look at what I can do. I can literally control the elements. Um, Mm. Therefore, you should serve me.
0: And now, come on, you know, these extravagant displays of power aren't anything new for Russian rulers. I mean, you and the rest of the nobles heard all the stories about Peter the Great's drinking club, the so-called Jolly Company, where members would get plastered hold mock baptisms with vodka and use priceless portraits for target practice.
1: So there's definitely this tradition of this kind of what we might even call like absurd displays of like partying and wealth. but there's like a purpose to it (laughs) like there's a method to the madness and that is to show off the opulence. So the Ice Palace is I think another iteration in that line of just like very grandiose pageants and balls and parties that really are meant to bind the nobility to the the monarch uh, and to also demonstrate how much power the monarch has over them.
0: And since Anna's gone to all this trouble to build an ice palace, she figures, what better way to show it off than a wedding? Enter our BFF mix. Empress Anna orders him to get off his nest full of eggs and marry a Mongolian Kalmyk woman named Avidotia Buzaninova. But we'll just call her Tia. Okay, so that brings us back here to our seats just outside the Ice Palace. The wedding procession has begun, and if you look around, you'll see that there are indigenous men and women from every province who are all part of the procession. And all of this, forcing Mick and Tia to marry, forcing indigenous people to be part of it, it's all a way for Ana to show off her power. And yeah, this is of course majorly effed up. And yet, here we all are. There's working class people here gathered for the spectacle and you and your other noble buddies are here too, wrapped in your furs. The trumpets sound, sleds pulled by pigs, camels, and wild boars convey some 600 indigenous Russians towards the Ice Palace. And then, towering above us, comes an elephant. And on its back, inside a cage, are Tia and Mick. The couple is ushered inside the Ice Palace, where they are brought to an exact icy replica of Anna's own royal bedchamber, complete with a cozy ice duvet. There's a rumor floating around the palace that Tia even traded a pearl necklace for a coarse, cheap blanket just to survive the night. And apparently, guards stood posted at the doors to ensure the couple wasn't interrupted or allowed to escape. Eventually, the long, cold Russian winter comes to an end. As spring blooms in the year 1740, the Ice Palace slowly melts away into the Neva. And later this same year, Empress Anna herself dies, painfully and slowly from kidney stones. Though initially, her sexist doctors tell her it's just menopause. No one really knows what happens to Tia and Mick after their wedding, Honestly, no one ever asked he and Mick how they felt about the whole affair. Their voices are lost to history. And that's it. End of story. Welcome back to the 21st century, friends. Where we're left with a puddle of water where there used to be an ice palace... And almost no memory of the empress who built it.
1: The, the ice palace, to me, fits into the kind of the reclaiming of Anna Ivanovna because we have to we have to think of her not as you know this this party girl having a good time, but rather a very calculating um, individual who knows how to channel her wealth into respect and into power.
0: Look. Was Anna cruel, vulgar, and silly? Yeah, she probably was. Forcing people to spend a night in an ice palace in the middle of a Russian winter is basically the definition of cruel. But she was a heck of a lot more than a historical footnote. Empress Anna was a political operator, a military tactician, an impressive diplomat, a lover of the arts. And she created the playbook for how empresses could seize power.
1: The next half of a century is dominated by uh, women who follow Anna's example uh, very deliberately.
0: After Anna, Empress Elizabeth ruled for more than 20 years. And then a little someone named Catherine the Great ruled for more than 30 years. Both women took control in almost the exact same way Anna did. All three women got some nobles on their side, secured the military support, and took the crown. They even followed Anna's lead and wore the same outfit, a traditional male guards uniform. A little act of cross dressing to remind Russia who was in charge. Anna left behind a legacy. And unlike a certain ice elephant, that legacy didn't melt away four months later. Special thanks to Jacob Bell for taking the time to talk about Empress Anna with me and Ali Markovich for some Russian pronunciation help. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Sarah Wyman and edited by
1: John Delore.
0: Our production team includes
1: Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka,
0: Camille Stanley,
1: Willis Ryder Arnold, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire,
0: Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson,
1: Casey Holford.
0: This episode was sound designed by
1: John Delore.
0: And I'm Sarah Dern, wishing you all the wonder in the world.
1: Witness Docs from Stitcher.